3: I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And yesterday, we started telling the story of Frank Vogel's journey with the Lakers. And so if you haven't listened to that, I'd encourage you to listen to that first, but you don't have to, to kind of get the gist of it. And what we discussed was Vogel's arrival to the Lakers and how it was in a similarly tumultuous offseason To the one that we're going into right now, and how he calmed the waters and helped lead us to the 2020 NBA championship. And so that's where we pick up our story in today's pod. We go into the 2021 offseason. This is a very shortened offseason. And Within that, the Lakers also start acquiring kind of different players. In yesterday's pod, we talked about how it was LeBron AD and a bunch of big physical defenders with motor that didn't provide a lot of shot creation. That was kind of limited, but um, it was a great formula, peanut butter and jelly with the two superstars who cooked alongside the third superstar, which was the defense well, D, we made some moves in 2021. We always talk about this year having a team that did not have a roster that fit its coach. And then the 2020 season where it was this great harmony. Well, there was a year in between. Talk to me about that offseason and what happened that year to lead us into our title defense.
2: Well, Pete, last pod you talked about what does LeBron want? I think that if it wasn't clear with the Russ acquisition in terms of sort of getting another shot-creating guard or someone who could really relieve some of the pressure from a usage standpoint. What happened the previous offseason should have given us like enough hint that when you combine that with what happened with Russ, it's pretty clear. They start to, I think, trade away size for skill or shot-making ability, scoring ability. And so I think they relinquish some of their defensive identity for the hopes of boosting an offense that was very reliant on transition in order to score and the individual brilliance of LeBron James and Anthony Davis, right? That's how they won the championship. So out goes Danny Green and in comes Dennis Schroeder. Okay. Then they use their mid-level exception in order to get Montrez Harrell. Now Schroeder, I think Mike, He is the sort of nasty, competitive guard that I think Frank loved. But he also isn't very big. And that created some issues, I think, defensively, when you then paired him with KCP, who had basically been promoted to starting shooting guard rather than being the starting point, like quote unquote point guard during the bubble championship. And so you've got a smallish backcourt, and now your primary backup big is Montrezl Harrell, and you've swapped out JaVale McGee for Mark Gasol,
3: right? And a completely different type of player.
2: So you've basically replaced Dwight Howard with Montrezl Harrell, and you've replaced JaVale McGee with Mark Gasol. And so the team is still big in some ways. The team still revolves around LeBron and Anthony Davis, but I think that they've subbed out some key ingredients in terms of defense and some like secondary size for more offense. And Frank, I thought did well with that group because those guys were competitive and they still had a lot of like the spirit that Frank Vogel wants from his players. But Combined with the short turnaround and the bubble tax that you've discussed a lot, I think we started to see a little bit of things going away from Frank in ways that weren't—they weren't major steps, but it was. You saw it coming.
4: Interesting. I, by the way, I was with a friend in Denver, and I used the—I said interesting like that—and then I was trying to decide if it had a positive or a negative connotation, and I was arguing. For positive, because in that context, it was in this context. I think I was using it more in a negative connotation. Me too, Mike.
2: I felt it. I, I, think, I, yeah. I think that vibe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
4: <laughs> I, I mean, they still finished with the number one ranked defense, right? Last, yes. Last year. And a, a lot of that came with Anthony Davis and LeBron James out of the lineup in the second half of the year. Because I think that the roster was still much more a carryover of Frank's system. And the way that they played, and he had the personnel always to go to close games with you know Caruso, KCP, Coos, LeBron, and AD. Like or and or Marcus All, right? And or Andre Drummond. Like big size, versatile, you know, could still could switch all that stuff. And the offense, and by the way, I actually think Dennis, I like Dennis, I think, more than the average person might remember. I like the scrappiness, the competitiveness. Things got away from him as it, it, certainly in the postseason, and, and as things went on, at least up until the game, the final game of that series. But it was close enough to the previous grouping that, again, had they not had the bubble tax, I think they absolutely could have won the title. And Frank had mostly figured out which guys to play and when, and so. But I'm the reason I said interesting and not just like, no, I disagree is because I'm, I may have been missing something there and that's, and I'm curious what, how you want to connect that right to what ends up happening the next year. Well, two things. A,
2: the sort of accommodating of LeBron with the idea of wanting a secondary ball handler and shot creator, that was Dennis. And I think Dennis's postseason failures where the Suns basically showed, yeah, you actually are a little small. When we pack the paint with a guy like Aiton, you can't actually do much. Your jumper is not reliable enough and you're not big enough to actually force the action at the basket. And you're not a good enough shooter as a skill guy to, to make the defense pay for going under on screens. And so Dennis was like a like, okay you're good, but you're not that good. We actually need someone better than you. Now, if we could get someone who's just like you, but better. So that's where I think the connection to this season is. Also, we haven't brought up his name yet. But remember, Marcus Hall got covid last season. And he missed a part of the year. And then with Anthony Davis hurt, it was like Trez. And then it was Markeith Morris. They had to bring in Damian Jones for a little bit. And so what they ended up doing was Andre Drummond got bought out. And they ended up getting Andre Drummond to come on board. And reports say at that time that they basically promised Drummond starting job in order for him to come to the Lakers and Drummond did end up starting and he supplanted Marc Gasol and Marcus Gasol went from basically being the starting center to basically not playing at all for a good portion of the season and the reason why I say Mike that in hindsight last season was a precursor to what happened this season it's because front office changes in terms of determining what the roster was going to be, ended up tying Frank's hands a certain amount in terms of these are the guys who who should play. Now, with Drummond, I will say, Drummond fit the mold of what Frank wanted anyway. He wanted a mobile big. He wants to play big. He wanted to pair a big with, with Anthony Davis. But I do think that some of this of, well, no, we got this guy to play him. In order for him to come, he needed to start, so he's going to play. And I think that that was a bridge to this year's team. The Dennis, the play for Dennis, the play for Trez, which was a, a different version of like many of the guard players that the team signed this season, and then this this idea of more of a like the front office having more of a heavy hand within the context of how the team was going to have to play on the court based off of like the players who who were there. So that's my connection. And that's just from my vantage point.
4: That's well argued. And I'd, I'd like to change my interesting to a positive connotation.
3: <laughs> Pete? do you just explain why this, the 2021 season was a precursor to this season in one way in terms of style of play. Let's take a break. When we come back, I think it was a precursor in another way as well. some positive aspects of our culture in the 2021 season in pursuit of talent in the ways that you just described in ways that really came home to roost in this past season the 2020 team was a lot of pretty low maintenance guys that played hard and did their jobs be a star in your role that was something that frank really uh emphasized and that team embraced in a way that like that's one of the things that's, that's great. The most disgusting thing happening in the NBA right now is the emergence of the Celtics. And that's what's happening with them and Udoka right now. Udoka's done an incredible job. We'll get into the Celtics. But when a team and, and their coach just kind of click in a way, right, then it, it can produce some pretty incredible results. And that happened with that team. But one thing about Frank is that Frank is a, is a nice guy that i think works really well with internally motivated people there are different types of coaches that like this year's team in my opinion needed an authoritarian to get the most out of them now that speaks to a certain level of like you're not self-motivated enough collectively to you know find the inspiration on a night-to-night basis and that's a that's a fatal flaw but i also think that was an asp- another aspect D that I thought started to fall out of sync on this year's team that where last season was a precursor for, for that to happen.
2: I think that that's fair. I think too, that, and Mike, you've, you've talked about this a lot. Um, and so I, I, but I'd love to get your thoughts again on it. But when you go into a three-star build, The way that the Lakers did and filling the rest of your roster up with minimum guys is quite the challenge and getting the most out of, okay, well, we had to sign seven or eight minimum guys in order to build out your roster. What's a good hit rate like on that that you think is acceptable, right? Like, Pete, if they hit on 50
3: percent of those guys, is that really good? To you, are we talking about out of seven? I'd say with the Lakers, I'd expect four or five. Five is really, because I think that we have some natural advantages where if you have stars and the Lakers and playing time, Like, if you hoop for the Lakers, it's not going to be a mystery to anybody. So I think that the vet minimums that we have to offer have a little bit more value around the league. So I have, therefore, a higher expectation level for our vet minimum guys, which is something that I thought was great on last year's team. And part of the reason why Frank was able to hold it down. I Like, in some ways, I thought the 2021 team was his best coaching job from an agility standpoint like that that was another season where things kept you know uh lineups that second half of the year were all over the place but we kept the core of what we were but in large part because it, it fit what we already had
2: so most every year i would agree with you this year this past off season the lakers were also competing against a team like the heat and they were also competing against Brooklyn. a team like like Brooklyn, who also Golden had State. This, and Golden State, who also had several of those same exact slots to fill. Great right. Way. Like, OK, we've got a tax mid level to spend and we've got four minimum slots to fill with well with key players. And that was yeah, you multiply cause, that cause by three. Changed.
4: Things have changed in the league with free agency and with guys just signing and staying with teams. And there's just less there's just less out there. That's available for the higher end so that's going to make the the market that much more competitive for all of the teams that are trying to find those types of players to come in my position is is that normally
2: a hit rate of like half or even 40 percent of your minimum guy so like if you sign five minimum guys and two of them end up being like real contributors like that's a that's typically a score Bad. Like, remember when the Lakers were like, "Okay, well, look, look at Dwight Howard in yeah. the championship season." It was just like, mm-hmm. "Oh, they got this dude for nothing. He's a minimum dude." And when they had Dwight Howard and Markeith Morris as a buyout guy who was also making the minimum, it was just like, "Oh my goodness, they got two dudes who helped win them playoff games, and they make a combined four million dollars." This is like utterly ridiculous, and so this season, I thought that where things started to get away from the team and with Frank, there was definitely some of that culture stuff that you're talking about, Pete, but it was also like, okay, well, when you're the Lakers and you're chasing minimum guys, some of it is like, okay well who are the who are the names that we could side right? And they ended up signing more name guys yeah. that I think was actually useful for them. And so it's just like, OK, they like quadrupled down on was Like, OK, well, we got a Malik Monk. Great. Well, let's follow that up with a Carmelo Anthony and let's bring back a Dwight Howard. And then like, oh, look, it's our old friend, Trevor Ariza. And it's just like, oh, OK, that's maybe one or two too far. Now, at this point, and maybe it would have been better to be like, okay, well, maybe this Stanley Johnson kid might have been useful earlier in the season. Getting that culture stuff that you're talking about is where I think the shift away from like Mike has used this term sort of pejoratively in the past, and it can be used that way, but the tryhards going away from some of the tryhards in favor of I've done it all in this league guys that also created some of that dissonance. I think that ended up in the big picture, hurting the team in ways that maybe weren't
4: necessarily anticipated when those signings happened. Totally fair. And it does connect back to the previous season, but it also goes back to sometimes you don't need to reinvent what the team dynamic is if it's working quite well. And, you know, we're, some of that does go back to LeBron and wanting some help with the playmaking. And and I get that, but that to me can still be had with a sixth man. And maybe that was Kendrick Nunn, you know, or somebody like that. And and where what you cannot find is two way wings. You can't get them. Can't get them for the minimum. But once in a while, like Golden State had Otto Porter, which I would have loved uh, that, that kind of a, that kind of a player. But there, I just thought the, Going from Danny Green to Schroeder, I got it for that previous season because you still had a bunch of bigger wings. But then the next year, you didn't, and so you were depending on Trevor Ariza to come in and be that, and you were depending on Kent Bazemore on a minimum, you know, who hasn't really hasn't consistently been that uh, type of player. So that that all ties into it uh, as well. But you know, you guys know my biases towards those those two way big type wings away from playmakers.
3: Mike, I think we may be working our way back in that direction. I think that, that a lot of our um, you know uh, exploration and doing the autopsy of this season is going to, I, I think, move us back in that direction and, and rightfully so. Let's take another break. And we, when we come back, I want to zoom back into the present moment. We've talked about the 2020 season in yesterday's pod, uh, the 2021 season uh, in uh, so far today. I want to talk about this season in the last segment. And then where do we go from here? It's only a kick.
2: A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle.
3: A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. So there was a quote um, recently, forgive me for not uh, attributing it. I I don't remember who provided it, but it was basically saying that Frank had confided confided in people that he'd been searching throughout this season. And a lot of the evidence of the season points to that. We know of the 41 starting lineups, which are in large part due to injury, but in large part not. I marveled for much of the last week of the season. Like, I don't know who our starting lineup is. I don't know who the other two starters would be. I think maybe Malik Monk would be one of the other two. But by the end of the season, we didn't know. And that was in large part because I thought Frank was very much lost in the wilderness this season. And I, again, you know, the the long text messages that I sent you guys, I have all of my very strong opinions about what he should have done and when and who he should have played and all of that. But I, I felt like you gave a good faith effort to search for it throughout. But the, the pull of his preferred style of play versus the roster that we had, I, I just, I never saw him and the team get on the same page. And I saw that combined with kind of some of the cultural things, ending us in a situation where by December, I didn't see a great deal of connection between him and his roster. And that played out in a number of ways that is hard to pin down on just one event or one moment, but it gradually led up to that point. And I thought by December, January, like there, there just wasn't much connection between the two.
2: Yeah. And I think that part of that too, is that you always want alignment with your best players and in the championship season, he definitely had that with LeBron and AD. We talked about that at length, the last pod. Last season, I think he had it still again with LeBron and AD. I think he also had it with Dennis. I don't think he necessarily had it with Trez by the end of the year, who they had invested big money in. And so, and then I think that it was harder for him to manage everything when Drummond came in and then the implication was that he had to play right and then now that's at the expense of other guys right and by the end of the season it was like okay well several guys who we thought would have been frank guys were maybe left out in the cold and then he tried to bring them back in and it created a dynamic that was very hard to at the point where it's just like i saw
4: there's someone i saw someone no no i don't want to interrupt that thought i thought i had it you i I'll, i got a i got a shooter slash um Harold slash quick point to make but finish your thought first
2: no just that i saw someone like retweet a picture of like andre jumping liking the ig post about vogel about to lose his job and and it was right and it was because that by the end of the season if you're spinning plates there were too many plates spinning and it was very hard to navigate that
4: it's a very simple point when you join a, a defending champion you defer to what that team has going on that's what that's what's supposed to happen, and I don't know that those guys that, that I just mentioned, Drummond and to an extent Schroeder, certainly Harrell, they didn't do that. And I saw Ron Artest uh, at the time when he came in for all of his past yeah. accomplishments. Great, genuinely great player, one of the best offensive players of that era. Uh, had some amazing offensive seasons. Sure, he had his issues, but he came into that season. You guys tell me what you need from me. You won last year, Kobe. Where do you want me to be? You want me to defend the best guy every night? All right. Do you want... Now, he wanted to shoot more, but he wasn't going to if that disrupted what the flow was. And that was a little bit just as a non sequitur, like that was disappointing. And I think anytime guys come in with their own expectations to win on a team that's trying to win a team title the next year, that's a tough look. As opposed to a team that hasn't won anything and everybody's trying to find their place.
3: And all, all those guys are younger, too. Every guy you mentioned there is in their 20s. I think Russ fits this in some respects too, of that, like, I'm going to do things my way. Yeah. And right. I'm not going to adjust. I, my argument all all along has been like, well, we should have known that the entire time. And like, now that's a tremendous argument to not trade for Russ in the first place. But once you have Russ in the fold, like, you have to adjust for that. Right. And so, but those like, Guys in their 20s that I, – I think that even THT is an example of this concept of like, like Dennis Schroeder's playing for his contract. Den, THT is playing for his place in the NBA. There's a certain guy – like you know who I miss? A, a role player we don't talk about a ton, Mike, but JaVale McGee. Yeah, You remember the yeah. – the, the in the tunnel beforehand, the energy. Yeah. Shaq and the Fool kind
4: of ruined his rap.
3: Man, yeah. no, it's yeah. ridiculous, ridiculous. I, I remember uh, I was covering the team for you at the time, D, uh, in, in person, and he gave that great quote of the like, I run the floor, I block shots, and I dunk on people. Like, and he, like, Javel McGee knows who he is. He gives his best and just that sense of, I like Stanley reminds me of him in some ways, but just. That is a different, whole different mindset, D. It is than the type of mindset that a Dennis Schroeder is in, an Andre Drummond is in. And I just want to pull
4: THG out of that though, because I think THG was just twenty last year and twenty one this year, and he, I don't think he, you know, he's still figuring out his own game. I don't think like Schroeder knows his game, and it's just like I'm going to play my game. I'm not necessarily going to do exactly what you guys want. I just was fine with Schroeder because he competed his ass off on defense. Whereas, you know, but but yes, I just want to clarify in THG. I.
3: No, no. I appreciate that, that you do that because there. I, I suppose my point is, is that players that are in their twenties that are role players. This is a key part. Is like they're playing to get to that that echelon wherever their career is going, maybe they're a future all-star, maybe they're a starter that secures 60 million dollar contract for their family, but they're trying to achieve something for themselves where like a guy like JaVale or Markeith Morris, Wesley Matthews, those types of guys like are they're very comfortable in their own skin and in what they do and what their role is and what their job is in ways that those guys in their twenties do not. Now we probably turn that dial too far in the other direction, D. Where it's like, oh, these guys can't run anymore. Yeah, <laughs> they cannot yeah. jump, and then you know that that doesn't matter as much. But um, I don't know. Yeah, I'm curious your thoughts on that. No, it, the all all of that is just that alignment
2: that you're basically talking about between. And it's what we've been talking a fair amount over both of these Vogel pods is Vogel had that alignment and slowly but surely with his players and slowly but surely it was chipped away at. Yeah. And it was chipped away at in plays for additional talent. And sometimes more talent does not equal the better team. That happens for a lot of reasons. It's not just the players faults, but... I think that you need that alignment with your best players for sure. And we saw it, Mike, you were there in the room listening to Russell Westbrook talk in his exit interviews and the news had already broken, basically, that Frank Vogel was let go, right? That news had not broken yet when LeBron James spoke early this morning. And so LeBron said that he had heard the reports but that he had not been told either way about what Frank Vogel's future was. But by the time the afternoon um, sessions came, Frank had already been relieved of his job. And so Russ's comments to me showed that there was a divide between him and Frank. And whatever side of that you fall on, and that's probably a debate for another day, the the idea of not having that alignment with one of your supposed best players makes it hard for you to actually achieve the things that you set out to achieve and for you to manage the entire group in in a way that he had so effectively just two seasons yeah. prior when when they won well, the and this is the
4: difference between kind of what I was saying about t h t which you know Pete really clarified well there's a difference between somebody that can do something and won't whether because they don't understand it or they're they just don't think it's best for them and they're not willing to be overruled and i think that's russ and somebody that can't because they just physically can't like malik monk physically you know can't hold up in certain situations dj DJ augustine physically can't hold up in certain situations kent basemore who kind of tried to eloquate this himself by one of your other points, Darius, where you're looking around at some of the talent in the locker room and you're like, wow, like we should be able to win the title. Stanley spoke to this too. But then it doesn't quite add up based on the mix of personalities and players. And, and Vogel gets involved in this too. And Russ is perhaps the best way to go there because I I don't think there were any other players this season that had that same type of comment about Frank, about not knowing where they stood or what their role was. Frank, that's something Frank does really well with players. And daily, like every day, I mentioned he makes his own scouting reports and his own, like that's no, where to be and what to do and when and with which players and which systems. That that to me has is, is been a strength there. So there's, but there's something about, and this is part of what makes Russ who he is. There's, and, and part of what has allowed him to achieve what he's achieved. And Pete's spoken to this eloquently throughout the season. But that was a clash. And But I just don't think, I don't know what else, from Frank Vogel's perspective, he could have said or asked for or done with Russ. There just was – it's not – there are histories here, to go back to what I said in the previous pod, and that should have been anticipated there.
3: So, yes, I agree that there are histories that should have been anticipated, but I think that that – goes in a multitude of ways. And again, when you trade for Russell Westbrook, I think that everything you just explained about him is something that we know. And one of the themes of our pods when we talked about Westbrook this past offseason was I, I strongly made the argument that you have to contour what you do to him. And I, I just want to say, I really understand the reflexive reaction to like, why do why should we contour... What we do to our third best player in the best of circumstances, when we just won a title, doing things a certain way before then, to which I would argue that it's because Russell Westbrook is not going to change. And the more that you ask him to change, the more that you're asking for to not work out. And so we talked about that kind of choose your own adventure story D what I saw ultimately with this season. And I've, at, at least in these last couple pods, I've tried to take a more sympathetic tilt toward Vogel's position, but for all of Russ's rigidity, I saw a great deal of rigidity in Frank as well. And that he, that idea of coaching the team that you have versus the one that you want. I think that's the first job that a coach has is to know the guys that you have. And that's on the court, off of it, and, and what they do well, and be able to adapt to that. And now knowing it and being able to adapt and have, even having the tools at your disposal to do that are not the same thing. But I do think that that is the first job that a coach has, is to be able to look at your guys and be like, well, I got seven, eight guards, my bigs kind of stink, you know," and, and be like, well, I guess we're not doing what I would like to do and that didn't happen this year and that's that i think we speak so much to russ's rigidity that that is my answer to mike i suppose in that what could he say the idea that frank wasn't communicating with him is ridiculous like of course frank was was explaining what he was looking for they you made a comment earlier d about them talking past each other and i think that that is is spot on
2: yeah that was in our text thread and there's a way that i feel like Both Frank and Russ came to this season with a ton of personal success in this league. Frank has won a championship as a head coach, playing a certain style, asking his players to do certain things. Because the asks, when those asks are accomplished, great things can happen, particularly when you have great players um executing them and we don't need to run down the list of accolades that Russell Westbrook has has obtained over the course of his career but he's one of the great players of his era for sure and made the top 75 team right and and, and so whatever whatever anyone thinks about Russ as as a player his accomplishments are real now, personally, where I fall in this is I think Pete's 100% right in that asking Russell Westbrook to change is likely going to end up with you not getting the change that you seek and for things to go poorly. I think Pete's right because we just saw it. It's exactly what happened this season. And in a way, then, and I'll and I've said this in a post that will probably be up by the time that you listen to this pod, that in in a way that that's how the Lakers failed Russell Westbrook. Is they asked him to become something that he was likely incapable of becoming based off of the idea that he wasn't going to do well, it let, in the first
4: place. Let me, let me ask you this, though. What what but, did they what did they not but, allow Russell Westbrook to do that he wanted to do?
2: No, nothing, Mike. And this is my next point. Is is that where Russ failed the Lakers and where I think that this is actually more of a more of a Russ issue than it is a Frank Vogel issue. But Frank's the one who is now no longer on the team or a part of the team is is that. The things that Frank was asking of his players, those are the things that work, they 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 actually do work and Russ at his talent level. Does have the ability to do many of the things that Frank is asking of of his players, and that's where Russ needed to be the one yes, yes, to meet in the middle rather than act like he didn't know what was what the asks were because that's b s in my opinion mm-hmm. rather than act like he. He actually tried to compromise and he was the one who was sacrificing like I thought Andy Kameninsky asked a great question during the availability when during Russ's media availability when when he said, did you embrace the change or did you just try to do it? Because that's what the ask was, because there was a difference. And Russ said, oh, well, I embraced it. And I thought to myself, like, word? No. Because if you would have embraced it, we would have seen it right. more. That's where Russ failed the Lakers. Like, and the context of his acquisition and what the idea was supposed to be when you got your team of all of its best role players in order to bring this guy on, then you need him to be one of the guys who does all of the little things, the way that Anthony Davis and LeBron James did all of the little things when the Lakers actually won the championship. Like that's what the best players do is they lead by example. And I thought if that, like that was the disappointing part of that part of things with Russ this, this year. And that's where I'm saying, Pete, that Frank and Russ were talking past each other so much is because Frank was asking things of Russ that that he probably knew he wasn't going to get from Russ, but he knew he had to ask them anyway. But adapting after the fact, he did his best with that. But there was no going back to the idea of, well, we don't see eye to eye about this. And on some levels, that's on Frank, too. I like I I mostly put it on Russ, but but it's on Frank, too. Like and that's how relationships deteriorate.
3: So I I don't – and I, I'm guilty. I'm, I'm the person who framed it this way. I don't entirely see that as being just a Vogel versus Russ thing in terms of r- the rigidity. Like we came back from the All-Star break with Dwight Howard and Trevor Ariza starting. Yeah. Like how many times did we go back to Trevor Ariza? Or how many times did we go back to Avery Bradley? Or, or two big lineups, right? Like the Pelicans game, AD comes back, but then Dwight's starting too. And so now like – oh, we're big all of a sudden. We've been playing these small groups with LeBron, with AD being out, and now we're playing a different style of basketball because this is what Frank knows, right? And so it's related to Russ, but it's not entirely- One thing because- to throw into
4: that, so I don't disagree at all about it. So like Frank has these very true beliefs about how he sees basketball, right? And I have mentioned that earlier, and I think that they are really good ones and valid ones. That doesn't mean that at times to win an NBA game, you sometimes have to go out of that. And there are some coaches that are better. But- The thing that really, to me, killed what Frank was trying to do there was AD being out because AD is the link there to still give Frank what he needs defensively. And this happened early in the season when the Lakers were not good at all, but they were still above 500 or at least flirting with above 500 because AD was on the floor. Because no matter what Mm -hmm. was happening, if you went small, right, if you like tried to completely cater to Russ, which they tried to do in many different ways – throughout the season, AD was still there. And when he went out, so they were, I, I mentioned that I tweeted today, the hype. Po- I'm sorry. What's the high point of the Lakers season? Probably Reeves game winner at Dallas 16 and 13 on a little bit of a streak. Starting to figure some things out a little bit, like playing smaller AD at the center, you know, Reeves coming on role. They had no role players early in the season because of injuries to THT and to Ariza, And they're just trying to figure all that out. So The next game at Minnesota, AD goes down. That's when he sprained his knee. And from that point on, AD comes back, LeBron gets hurt. LeBron comes back, AD gets hurt again. They played seven games together from that point on, from December 15th on. But... I I say all that to underscore the point again that, like that AD thing, especially though, was was to me that connective piece for how Frank could still some have some semblance of defense, and he would make up for the mistakes of all these other guys that were not playing defense, are not role players, and would not embrace that side of the court either, either because they wouldn't or because they couldn't.
3: So the circumstances that you described and the circumstances of the last couple of seasons, particularly with the injuries, but also the roster overturn, both in terms of players and types of players all call for a great deal of adaptability this season required a great deal of adaptability from frank that was beyond what what he did right and so and what he was comfortable with and we lost a lot of games because of that i think that this was an unusual season where i would attribute more losses to the coach than i normally would but that's also a chicken or the egg thing too from a like do you make that severe of a change from one season to the next. So to me that's that that is one of the big lessons to learn going forward and I think that's going to be the next pod is we're going to start talking about the coaching search and that ability to adapt. The league is changing on the court. We didn't even get into a lot of the X's and O's stuff that I that was hoping to get into but there's things changing around the league where it requires a certain amount of versatility and adaptability. I think that uh, I think there's a lot of interesting conversations to be had, and we will have a lot of them here. But until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room podcast. We'll catch you guys next time.
2: James has got it in low to Mikhail. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tipped to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. Left.
4: That next winner to win it, it's on the way, no! Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds, shot with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker
3: fans okay, sticking so around for this.
4: You're seeing something that's very rare indeed, a Laker to get MVP chance right, in, in, Boston, in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe Arguably, Are you kidding me? Unreal! Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasson, Pretty pass, and it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant, picked up by Bell. There's, There's the move. move. Two, Two one. Miss it! it.
0: Unbelievable. the It's over. shot popping out of five. Oh, yeah. Bryant. Yeah.
4: Putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the Raptors.
1: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium?